right. Started. Okay, there we go. Parker, it's really good to see you again. Yes. We're halfway into a conversation now before we even get started with the Dhamma. So now that you've asked a Dhamma question, ask it again for us on recording. Yes. Um, so when one is um, mindful at the point of contact, um, is there, um, do reasons to change things still arise or um, can they be acted on without any wanting or um, feelings or um, clinging? The answer to that is clearly is clearly and obviously yes. Mm -hmm. But let's discuss it a bit. Um, the whole idea, back to the original teaching of the Buddha, is dukkha, dukkha naroda. And if you can, in fact, um, here's an example of that. Is, is that there is a great big cow pie in the yard for some reason. Maybe the bull came by and took a squat. We don't know, but there's a big cow pie in the yard, and we really don't want to deal with it very much. But mm -hmm. we don't want things spreading around, so we might want to just take a moment and put a sign up saying, look out for cow pies, and put that sign right in front of that cow pie so that people have to step right through that cow pie sign in order to step into the cow pie. Okay, so here's the example, or metaphorically. So we can use that as an example for all kinds of things about, for instance, giving people warnings. Uh, that we we do have kind of uh let us not call it a social obligation but we have kind of an, an instinctual obligation in fact what you're really asking me about in an obtuse way is what is compassion itself this that was a way i was going to phrase it actually yes mm -hmm. what is compassion and the answer to that is that is okay to throw someone a life raft if they've fallen overboard or to say uh, even a life ring, a preserver, one of those things that's got a rope so that now while they hang on tight, you can pull them in. That's the correct way of doing it. The incorrect common way of doing it is when a friend goes overboard, we jump overboard too. All right, that's another kind of example of mm -hmm. of that, that we can, in fact, do something about these cow pies without having to deal with the cow pie itself or the people much. Okay, and that uh, this is a, a way of saying, okay, we can figure out a wise way of doing something. And one mm -hmm. of the ways of the criteria that we can have is, is can we handle the situation both with friendliness and with <clears throat> including humor and 
with truth or reality. And that if there is a, um, a tipping point, then we will, let us say, give um, the benefit of the doubt to the friendship, not to the yes. truth. That mm-hmm. I know that many religious folks and people in Buddhism and all of that, we get really hung up about truth and truth, you know, truth, justice in the American way or the right way, the Obama way or anything like that is still very much of a rule. But the Buddha doesn't talk about it in the sense of a rule. He talks about it in the sense of, can we make friends with this? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's also back to the question of uh, that that Keyshawn and I uh, got off on a tangent about, which is so humorous, is the song uh, from Simon and Garfunkel. Do you know about Simon and Garfunkel? Um, I listened to the short video, yes. Yes, yes. okay, so you've heard this video. Okay, hello, (laughs) darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. So that we can approach our um, compassion that way. We can approach anything that comes to mind on our own, in our own darkness that way. But human beings are in the habit of creating darkness And they do so because they like the light so much. And if we didn't care so much about whether things was bright or dark, then when the darkness comes, we can say, hello, darkness, my old friend. And we don't have to make this bad just because it's the dark side. And Mm -hmm. that the dark side is something that we've already determined as dark as opposed to just something new on the plate. Yes, exactly. When that thought arises, you're not just seeing the thought, you're running a process and you don't like it and you don't want it. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So Uh anything that we do, this means that we have to do it wisely rather than out of our own desires and our own greeds and calling it dark. Uh, um, An an issue would be uh, tattling on someone who has done something wrong. And that kind of tattling, gosh, I mean, much of civilization is built upon tattling. It is. And that in Buddhism, we call tattling, we, it's called, referred to as malicious gossip. Mm-hmm. And that uh, we can think of then uh, that as uh, one of the, in fact, most people think of Musawada Weiramani Sakabadam Samatiyami, right speech, uh, is only the direct lie kind of thing. In fact, then they think that it's okay to go tattle on somebody because what I'm tattling on is true. Uh Uh-huh. No, it's that's not how he phrases it, right? Yeah, it's the truth beneficial and that it's accepted Mm -hmm. at the right time, yes. 
Oh, exactly right. That's an old phrase from the Buddha also, that truth has to be given in, at the right time and in the right way. Mm-hmm. Got to be phrased correctly. Okay. And so uh, sometimes that's hard to figure out. Sometimes we don't know which is the right way to go. But mm-hmm. we can leave that open in the sense that we're working always with friends here. Mm-hmm. That's the important point is, is that we're all friends in this. And so that that whole quality of tattling on someone in order to set, let us say that there's four people involved. A and B are into it. And at this particular junction, A is on top of B. And you don't like that. So you're number C as the observer, and you're going to go tattle to D so you can get D to go do what you want about what's happening between A and B. Exactly. All right. That scenario fits almost all occasions. Mm -hmm. That's a very characteristic four-way conversation. A and B are into it. C doesn't like it and goes to talk to D about it, tattling. Wow, mm-hmm. that happens so much in our society. Yes. So in the beginning, we think of it in the sense of the Dhamma is only practicing wh- which part are we. But in fact, the real Dhamma is, is that we have to understand the role that each one of these members play. As a child, we start off in position B, that we don't like what mommy or the teacher or who the big brother, whatever he uh, is, is doing. But mm-hmm. then we begin to learn to play the, the role of C of going and tattling to mommy about Jenny. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, but it's still, if you see it, B and C are in the victim's roles to where DNA there, one's the authority and the other one is the top dog in the argument, or that means that he's the little authority and the D is the big authority, right? Yes. Okay. And all four of these roles are dukkha. <laughs> all four of them are dukkha. Number D doesn't want to bother with any of this stuff, but if he has to, he'll go do something about A, and then A has got to uh, receive the punishment and all that. And so it's always winds up a four-way lose, lose, lose situation. Mm-hmm. How can you turn it around with your own wisdom so that you can turn it into a win, 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 win situation? And one of the first things that we do is we say, okay, Mr. D, the authority, the ultimate dude, the cops on the block or whatever you want, they're already out of the picture. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> We can dismiss them out of hand, that there's no reason to go get the courts or the judges or anything like that and involved in it. And in fact, whenever there is a conflict in Thailand, that's basically what the police there are for, is to have conflict resolution and conflict avoidance, as opposed to having conflict. 
But that, the, but the kind of police that they have are not out on what you would call sting operations, the way that most cops are in America. Okay, that <laughs> that if a guy is going to get arrested for handling arms, more than likely the guy he bought those arms from and the guys he's about to sell the arms to are both FBI agents. <laughs> yeah, where it's the the idea to inspire a sense of fear in the population so they will not do those things. Ah, okay. Um, um, however, if, however, well, there was no in some cases to begin with in that case. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yes, the wise way of handling things um, is not to go looking for problems, um, is only to um, handle the problem if someone has a problem when their problem arises. Rather than making it a big problem, because that's yes, the, exactly. the point that when C goes to D, that's when it becomes a big problem. Mm -hmm. That's it. Okay, now it's a big problem. Before that, it's a little problem. And if we look at it correctly, there's no problem at all because A's and B's are squabbling on some of them like it. Yes, that's just how they roll. There, that in fact, there's an old joke about that, and it's on Noah's Ark. You see, Noah's got two by two of all of the animals and everything, and and when they finally landed and opened the door, he's going through his checklist of two elephants and two tigers and two lions, and and he starts counting. Cat. There are 37 cats, and the old Tom looks back at him and he says, "And you thought we were fighting." <laughs> <laughs> so that's it sometimes we don't know what's happening and sometimes it's our own ignorance about the situation mm -hmm. okay especially if it's a local situation because no, mostly what we hear is one side of the argument yes or we'll take sides so that we don't hear the other side of the argument, even if it was presented to us. Mm -hmm. We're too busy thinking about the other side or fighting right, against the points I, yeah, that the one side is making. Oh, yeah, already I don't like this is happening, and never mind that I'm, you know, so I'm going to blame that one rather than going and looking at what's going on on his side also. So then, in fact, that's the 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 approach of a mediator would be to try to get everybody understand what's really going on from all sides and all angles. Yes. If they can do that, then they don't need a, any more help. Exactly, yeah. They can see each other's point of view, then they can, that's, so mainly that would be the only thing that you can do in that situation. But now let's take a large situation. When I say a large situation, I'm actually talking about a whole lot of people involved with it. Something that's in the news. By the time it's in the news, there's already a whole lot of people involved with it. Believe me, you're not the first to learn. <laughs> when there's a televised trial? Ah, <laughs> uh, but in fact, sometimes I, I'm looking at inter internet and I look at, uh, on, I click on the last hour. And say, oh, 15 minutes ago, and I click on that to see what's going on. It's already got 
75 likes and 200, maybe 500 or 1,000 or more views. And it's only been up to just a short time. So we're talking about always there's a lot of people that are involved with movements. Yes. If you understand it like that, then you can recognize that whatever it is that you want from that movement, you've already got a whole lot of friends that are out there doing the job for you. Mm-hmm. But they don't really need your help to feel bad about, for instance, global warming. Uh-huh. <laughs> you've already got plenty enough help out there fighting against global warming. One more voice is not going to be that much of value considering the amount of effort and time and work and and dukkha that you'll create for yourself to go protest one more one more and not only that but then the wrong thing can happen that you're not expecting you wind up in the hospital and all kinds of different problems can occur when you're out there wanting to help a whole group of people do something where in fact you're not in charge of that group it's dangerous out there And so using the example of global warming, wouldn't it be if the point is is to use less fuel, is to not drive halfway across the United States to attend a rally? (laughs) Uh (laughs) Yeah, let's stay home and not use fuel. That's how I'm going to protest against global warming and not burn anything, (laughs) including burning my mind over global warming. Uh Uh-huh. Because there's already so many people that are burning their minds already. There, I mean, most of the smoke in the air is from brain <laughs> burn rather than fuel burn. <laughs> and so these are the two ways. The local stuff needs investigation and openness. And the larger stuff needs a rest. <laughs> mm-hmm. So these are the two ways that you can handle that kind of question. But in in the reality is, is that there is compassion for both sides. Mm-hmm. In fact, all of the ways around the both sides, like the A and B and the local level, as well as the local versus the other side of the great big arguments. But also great big arguments always have two sides to it. And the yes. two sides is we want to change and the other side is, oh, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. That's almost always the two arguments. OK, now what's happened in, in almost the, in general in American po- politics is got to the point that it's all Democrats are saying, oh, we want to do this, that and the other thing. We want to change. And the Republicans are saying over there, oh, no, you don't. We don't even want to have a platform. We don't want to do anything. We just say our whole life is now to say no to whatever it is that you want to do. Yes. Now, the weird part of it is, is that this can be seen as wrong view and ordinary right view. To where the wrong view is, I want to do something and I don't care whether it's a little bit dangerous or not. I want to do it. I want to spend all that money and give all that money out, even though it may be dangerous to do so. And then the ordinary right view is saying, oh, no, the future, if you do the wrong thing, then disasters are going to happen. The common machine is going to come and, and you know, <laughs> exactly. So, yes. Yeah. OK, 
So these are the two polar opposites that have actually gotten into politics. Mm -hmm. That most um, folks who are saying they believe one side or believing another um, tend to not be doing the investigation all on their own. Exactly. That's exactly. And when you do the investigation on your own, while you're doing the investigation, you're not messing up. <laughs> and after you've done the investigation, that's never going to occur. There's always just more investigation to do. But you mm -hmm. can see the way things really are, but things are changing on a regular basis. And so we kind of got to keep up. Yes. Or um, we can come to the point that guess what? The United States government does not need me to keep up. <laughs> this is um yes, this is the another question that um um we we're gonna ask is that um when is um when is enough enough and when is um the um curiosity for more wisdom when is that restlessness or when is it ever restlessness? Or is it's it ever always restlessness? restlessness. In fact, that's what restlessness is, is what's going on. That's the whole mm. point of it. And that ah. to the to the human has turned into intellectual curiosity. It's almost mm. as if if I miss something that's happening. Like in the classroom. The kids not yes. only have to keep track of what the teacher is saying, they have to keep track of all the stuff that's happening in the room, too, because that's the dangerous part. The teacher not so dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and so we get that kind of divided, divided attention. Uh, but the, the point is, is that if we are paying attention, Part of the reason that we do is because we're afraid that we'll lose or miss out or some catastrophe or some danger will occur. Mm -hmm. And that that's where a lot of doubts and curiosities and all of that kind of stuff come from is because we're seeking security. So if you already feel secure, now we can do an investigation that's much more healthy, that it's not problem-solving oriented, it's fact-finding oriented. Yes. To see just what's there, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Don't need anybody's opinion over what's good or bad. Okay, a clear example of it is, is that Donald Trump on numerous occasions has been caught lying sometimes before, sometimes during, and sometimes right after, and sometimes really late after. But one of the things we know of is that he is uh, doing a lot of and consistently continues to do lying. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. All of that's true, and that's okay. To call him a bad man... It's not the same thing. No, it's not. It's, it's and the reason that we would do that is, is because we would say that lying is a bad thing to do. Yes. Okay. And yet we are constantly lying because we're saying this is like that and assuming that this is that. 
That's a little mm-hmm. kind of kind of lie. And so we are that way on a regular basis. The question is, is where is the line drawing? And that is at the point of dukkha and dukkha naroda, that some kind of lies. In fact, we've even got an expression for it, though it's misused, and that's little white lies. Yes. When the wife walks in with a brand new, very expensive dress, how's you, how do we look? Everybody better say, wow, that's a nice dress. You look really good. Mm-hmm. It's required. Okay. That, that is a white lie. That's necessary. Yes, we just talked about harsh speech, right? And friendship right. over truth, when yes. it's going to tip the scales in one way or another. One way or the other. Okay, so the, the, there is that quality of it. So the question is, is, that, uh, is our speech going to hurt someone, whether it's the truth or whether it's a lie? Yes, is it beneficial, right? Exactly. Is it beneficial or is it wholesome? One of the old examples I remember a long time ago was the kids were watching television and the uh, uh, the house was on fire. And the daddy kept saying to uh, to come out of the house, the house is on fire and the kids are watching television. And so he decides, hey, kids, I've got a pony. <laughs> Uh-huh. And now the kids are going to rush out onto the porch to see and get them out of danger. Okay. This is an example of that kind of white lie. I mean, it's a ridiculous white lie, but you get the point. <laughs> yes. Yes. That this is the bait and switch, and we use that kind of often anyway. That it's very mm-hmm. common in human behavior to say one thing and then something else happens. Yes. Okay, and almost always, 99% of the time, it's a disappointment that you didn't get what you wanted. Yes. Rather than the other side of it is, is being pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's one of the ways then that we can handle uh, situations that we think are a problem is how can we benefit it so that someone is pleasantly surprised with the outcome? Mm -hmm. An example of that, perhaps you've heard this, and it's called belling the cat. Now, these are kind of dogs and uh, rats and cats. So the rats are all upset because the cat is so good at catching them. And so they think uh-huh. that maybe if they can put a bell on that cat, that they can get that cat to uh, uh, wear that bell, they can hear it when the cat comes. But yes. they couldn't do it. The cat would wake up and grab another rat. And so they decided to put the cat, to put the bell in a box with a bow and give it to the cat as a present. And the cat accepted that present and put the bell on by himself. And so uh-huh. many of the things that we're talking about here have to do, then we can use the expression of belling the cat. Mm-hmm. This is that, yeah, you give somebody really bad news in a way that it's really palatable for them. Exactly, yes. All right, so that's one of the ways of, of handling it. That makes sense. Um, yes, the, the right speech point, um, yeah, that's understood. 
Excellent. Um, all right. Do so you have the, any um, specific examples now that we've crossed all over the territory? <laughs> Maybe I missed a rotten tree or something. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, I think the um, yes, one that you um, uh, in a recent call um, or just something that comes up is when um, someone is giving the one-liners, like maybe Ajahn Po giving the one-liners to a new student, um, mm -hmm. that the original reaction might be some aversion to that or not liking of those reminders or um, annoyance with them. Um, but the intention of those reminders is beneficial. Ah, it depends the, upon if the student who is the recipient of these one-liners can get the can get the joy, the exactly. juice, the smile, the uh, uh, the sugar, the grin along with it. The friendliness comes first before the one-liners. So uh, the one-liners then should be delivering more friendships, more joy, more ha ha. And sometimes it gets, um, uh, let us say, it takes a while for it to sink in. But this is part of the way that I have been dealing with Kitty precisely. And that she is doing some remarkable things. Because I, I tease her. Uh-huh. She's getting alert and awake. And I like that. So this is the, uh, yes, there are one-liners, there are teasings, but when you, when you do that, you don't get it, do it, let us say, uh, to gain something for yourself from them, but rather to give something beautiful and joyful to them. That's the difference, and everyone knows that. Okay, a way of expressing it is the dog, even the sleeping dogs, that knows the difference between being stumbled over and being kicked. Yes. Okay. So humans are like that too. We know that, it, I mean, so the one-liners can be delivered like a stumbling over them. Mm -hmm. But they get to wake up call as if it were a kick. But it's not a yes. kick. Okay. Yes. That's another expression or another way of talking about it is that, yeah, don't kick them when you wake them up. <laughs> mm -hmm. But as you see, that that's the job that I perform often on a regular basis. When the student uses a word, I'll pick on it. I've known yes, some exactly. of the conversations I've had that the student uses the word, and I'll use it 100 times in the next hour. <laughs> Every minute I'm bringing that word up. <laughs> and so that's an example of it also, that somebody uses a word, let us say a down word, a bad word, a cuss word, an, uh, an, a golly word. And so every time, uh, or not every time, but in fact, any time that something happens, you come up with a very hilarious golly, <laughs> just like they did, you know, <laughs> just to tease them about that word. And it yes. can be a, a, a point of joy. So that's the way that we can um, look at it as that example.
but basically the whole point is, is the uh, friendship comes first and then the news because mm -hmm. if the news is friendly it's not necessarily bad news yes so did I, you got any other points or did uh did we answer that yes so the point to be in the middle of the question was asked about um uh restlessness and that um any curiosity is restlessness um then to put that together with another thing is this the um the idea of how some why someone who is advanced in the practice might want to find some seclusion so they don't have to be restless always have so many examples of that in fact possibly the latest example was is that for three or four years, Achan Sumedo was just literally off the block. Now I've seen him back on uh, YouTube this year, but for a while he was not around. Then in fact, one of the things that I had read is, is that one group of people had actually gone to Wat Pabong, which is the, the temple above Wat Pananachat. So, he was the Achan of Wat Phananachat when it was new, but he didn't stay there. And so they said he was at Wat Pabong, but when they would go to Wat Pabong in uh, Udon Rachisima, they would say, oh, well, he went over to that Wat over there. And so they would go over to that Wat. He's not there. He went to that Wat over there. And so I don't know whether he was just moving around and not uh, uh, informing anybody any place, more than likely he had a bunch of Thai people covering for him <laughs> so that he could remain in seclusion and nobody would tell anybody where he actually was. Yes. And, and more than likely it could have been that nobody but him knew where he was because he knew about places <laughs> in Thailand that you and I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> But he was that way for quite a while. Now, why would such an old senior monk who has actually been almost the face of Thai Buddhism to the West, why would he go off into retreat? Mm. Well, the point made originally about restlessness, that having, well, two points maybe, that being in a place where... Um, you know, there are certain safeties that are insured or relatively insured, um, and also not having the uh, maddening crowd is a little extreme, but um, when you are the face of something like that, it might be nice to have some peace and quiet. That's exactly right. So, in fact, you could say that it was his station that he was trying to escape from. And he could tell the difference. I am not the face of Western Buddhism that so many people think I am. Uh -huh. And so, yes, I, I you can see that, uh, in fact, that it's not his internal restlessness. He just wants to get back to not having to deal with all of this external restlessness. Mm -hmm. The first time we go off into seclusion, we begin to understand what it's like, but later we go off into seclusion because we like it. 
They're not having to deal with the world. The, the, you could say, but going back to the example of the global warming rally winds up now being all things Buddhist in the West. Mm-hmm. It's something that really we don't need to participate in that particular global warm, warming rally, including all of the watch, all the temples and all of the people who were sucking up to this, that and the other monk and wanting this and that. I mean, it just goes all over the place uh-huh. and getting away from all of that is quite a joy. Yes, so at any, any point in time, whatever restlessness that you find in your world is good to escape from that so that you can get away from it almost as if like um that you wearing a, a favorite jacket or maybe a blanket out in a rainstorm and what you want is you want to let that rainstorm go away so you can gain some shelter to get away from it so that your blanket can dry out mm-hmm. all right your blanket got wet out there okay so your mind gets kind of agitated with that stuff when you're in that kind of frequency you're going to be in it and you know it and it's better to go away so that even though that continues on this can stop so you've got just this going on now and this one is okay be careful when you come back in it that you're going to go back into it again and how long does it take you to come out of it so that you can stop while that agitation is still going because everyone who is in the world is stirred up by the world and they're then stirring up the world themselves. And so it's a mutually, uh, what they call it, positive benefit, uh, um, feedback loop. One stirs yes. up this guy, this guy stirs up the next guy, everybody's stirred up and everybody's stirring everybody up. All right. Seclusion is to come out of getting stirred up on the outside, from the outside so that we can stop being stirred up on the inside. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, is it wise to go back and get stirred up again? Um, well, the um, thinking the that reason if I that can would come in with my unstirredness into the stirring up, that I can stop it from stirring. Well, you got physics to no. deal with here. You've got energies to deal with. That one who says that I can stop all that stirring is not a bodhisattva. He's delusional. Yes. It's delusional to try to fix things that are too big for us to fix, and it's our wanting it to fix anyway. What's wrong with being able to be still on your own and allow this to continue on? It's not your job to go fix it. Yes. So this is then the point... um, so the the fixing then that you're referring to is really fixing a concept in one's own mind. If that mm-hmm. one person that was stirred up came to that, say, monk who was in seclusion, um, the compassion that we are talking about would be to um, deal with that person in a compassionate way when they are there, but as long right. as they are there. Exactly so, which means that when the person comes, instead of allowing that person to stir up the monk, the monk being unstirred will help this guy also while he's there to be unstirred one on one. Sure. 
which is the way that the Dhamma works, one-on-one. -on -one. But a teacher walks into a student hall of 100 students, it doesn't matter how unstirred he is, he's not going to get that whole mass of 100 people unstirred. Each one of them no. will have to do that on their own. <laughs> yes. As you can see, I'm not a fan of great big um, retreat situations. Yes, the reason makes sense. Yeah, so there's there's many, many reasons why the Dhamma works best when taught one on one. So that uh, we can, you know, focus on one particular word, come back and dance around it over and over again, just like exactly. we're doing this conversation. You just exactly. beat the same old dead horse over and over and over again. We talk about seclusion from one perspective and doing it from uh, two people and then doing it for the crowd. It's always the same thing. And that is that friendliness that is unmixed and unstirred then is the method of the mm -hmm. transmission. Yes. That's what lineage is really all about is to 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 transmit or translate or transfer that spark of wisdom. To mm -hmm. the students. This the, the right attitude of right we attitude. already have it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. Without any dents or or whatever like that. Like one of the big dents that I would refer to is is that many meditation teachers can teach a whole lot of really good stuff to the students. But one thing that they can't teach them is how to manage money. Because they don't know how to manage money yeah. themselves. They're out asking for donations. Oh, please help me because I don't know how to manage my own money. Please give me some. <laughs> Uh -huh. in, in, in fact, I think it was George Garland and several others was talking about God. Did this God's plan to do this and do that and everything uh -huh. is according to God? Well, why is it then that God's always asking for money? <laughs> <laughs> yes. When friendship requires uh, that not be there. That money destroys that quality of relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the Dhamma, that one on one friendship is the way that it's to be transmitted. And so with that method, that's how you can help also many other people. Is by figuring out how to give them some sugar, how to make friends with them, and then they they were open and receptive, and you can tell them all kinds of crap. Yes, certainly. But they now um, may be easy to hear. <laughs> yes. I mean, one of the things that's really hard for some people to take on is the concept that they are, in fact, playing the role of a victim. And in fact, some people will say, don't call me a victim. I'm not. A, they just go right into being victimized. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And play the role of the victim without gaining any wisdom to it at all. Mm -hmm. And so 
that means that it has to be taught in a way that that is going to be introduced to the point that they can hear it. Yes. Okay. And by the way, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about today comes out of a particular sutta, and the sutta number is one hundred and thirty-nine. Ah, yes. Okay. Where um, the the way that the Dhamma is taught is taught by um, phrasing it correctly, using the local language. That's why I use so many examples out of Western culture is because that's the instructions on the way to teach the Dhamma is give people examples that they can understand. Yes, and, we just, and we also, just uh, read that Suda today, so that would make sense why that's coming up in this conversation. Oh, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Who did that serendipity? You or me? <laughs> you, 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 you did it. <laughs> Red-handed. <laughs> Precisely so, exactly. That's the way that we handle it, is that we use the local language and customs, and we give examples that they understand, and also... If you'll notice that many of the examples I give are absolutely outrageous examples. Mm -hmm. yes. Like people overboard in a boat or something like that. Something really big that, that the student doesn't identify with so much. Yes, and if as they, black it, and white as it, possible, yes. Right, making it as black and white as possible so that they don't necessarily identify with it. And then they can... Mm. Then they can investigate that for themselves and see it for themselves rather than saying it directly to them. That's a good point, yes. Yeah. Oh, you're such a loser is all they hear. And nobody wants to hear that. And yet everybody's a loser. Every one of <laughs> us is a loser. I mean, that's why we come to the Dhamma is because we're a loser and we know it somehow, but we don't want to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> No, seeing the loser quality allows us to see the other side of being a winner. Mm -hmm. This is, again, why we can recognize that from that song of Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. Well, being in the loser's position, we need to be able to see that as a friend. Oh, there I am being a victim again. <laughs> when in yes. fact, I'm the one who runs this shop. <laughs> Yes, then to we had something, then we lost it. Um, I was going to say to beat the dead horse a little more. Um, <laughs> we oh, we the, can um, talk about it singing to the choir, or preaching to the choir. That's another example. I mean, the poor that might horse. be a little more pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> when um. Is then the um, if someone is in seclusion and perfectly happy and no one is coming um, to learn, I guess this question kind of has to do with. Um, maybe I'll finish the question that um, when we're in seclusion, any interest in stirring that world any specific way would be dukkha, right? Um, and then the compassion then only comes if, if someone comes with the, if you want something. Mm -hmm. if and you want something. it can then 
instead it can come out of wisdom of um um maybe putting a small sign up for the people to see it if they're in that stirring and they see the sign and they maybe want to come out like is that like um the exception that you're making is like the wisdom that we talked about earlier, right? The wise compassion. You can actually. Um, there's some techniques that we can use, and one of them would be like with uh, with psychotherapy. Is the favorite question to get things opened up is ask people how they feel. And sometimes even in the psychiatrist is going to get evasive answers. But if you continue to ask the same question, that actually in a way puts you into an authority position. If you keep asking the same question that they're uh, dancing around, so you can't really be as, let us say, as direct as that. But you can, in fact, do it by, by dancing around the question Mm -hmm. Okay, but uh, that basic question of asking people how they feel, generally, they'll answer it. Even if they don't want yeah. to, they'll answer it, okay? And so uh, uh, then you can ask them questions about that. So this is another part of it is, is that it's called uh, and named after Socrates called the Socratic method, that mm -hmm. he, in fact, uh, was quite good at it as in the in his day of talking people out of their logical inconsistencies by merely asking them questions about how that logical inconsistently fed in with this particular situation or that particular situation. Okay, so we can use it, and I also do that uh, as as a practice of asking questions. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the way of getting an opening is asking questions instead of just telling somebody that uh, uh, they ought not do such malicious gossip or there don't be a tattletale. Don't start off with "don't do" or "you should" or any of that parent yeah. stuff. Uh, but instead, uh, start off in the parent ego state of merely inquiring, investigating, uh, asking questions, et cetera, like that. That's back to, I mean, going full circle now. This is the way that we do it is that we ask, we investigate. And by asking questions and investigating, the people actually have to do a bit of investigating themselves in order to answer your questions. Mm-hmm. So that's how you can get inside what's going on between A and B. If the A and B are having an issue between each other, you can interrogate A and see how he feels and ask him questions about B. Then you can go to B and you can interrogate them about how they feel and ask them questions about A. And about 90% of the job's already been finished now. You just walk away and see what happens. <laughs> because you got a chance for them to take a look at what's going on. <laughs> yes. And all you did was ask questions. <laughs> uh -huh. 
So that's how that method can work in the, in that kind of family uh, or uh, community therapy setting. We're just asking the right questions. So you can go practice that. Yes. That's a good Definitely. skill to develop is the skill of asking questions therapeutically. Yes, and it is a skill to ask a question without confronting, uh, without yeah. it being too pointed. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So. Mm -hmm. So that's your in, in, in general, that's the answer to the whole show is to to number 31 39 and asking questions, phrasing it in um, abstract or off the wall examples rather than personal examples. There's going to be time for personal examples. Once you have that relationship with them, they're going to bring you your their personal examples. Uh -huh. And even then, we still want to talk about it in an abstract way because it's not my problem anyway. That's an illusion. Yes. It wasn't a problem after all. <laughs> And so if you practice this as a skill, you can be very beneficial to many people. Certainly. Yeah. All right, Parker, well, let's finish this off. This has been really an enjoyable talk. I've liked this one. This has been good. Yes, um, could I ask one more question about um, reading the suttas? If you have... Um, Maybe any historical t context that you give in terms of um, when you're reading from this particular collection, maybe keep these things in mind or um, not a, maybe yeah, where one should start in terms of the meat of things, questions like that. Again, start with feeling. That's the place that's that's the place where people are feeling the dukkha. Basically, what we're saying is, is that if you could invite him back to dukkha, I'm, I'm talking about it now in reference to Paticca Samuppada, where they're already gone into the woeful states. And backing them up to the way that they feel is the place that's the point of wisdom this is where the point of contact uh, with the, right okay so start talking to them about feelings how do you feel about things how do you feel about this get it to the point of liking or not liking so that they can begin to yes, understand that's, that's the issue okay the um the question was of an unrelated topic that was a good point that uncovered something um but the um we've been reading a little more of the um of suttas, and I was curious, um, like where in the Pali Canon or um, Sutta Pitaka or whatever, or um, Tipaka that you'd suggest like um, reading from or where the historical context is the most based and maybe some of that historical context. Okay, the, some of this historical context is, is that it depends upon who the actors are around the Buddha. In the very, very early days, Sariputta was not around. And so there will be no mention of him. And places like that are in the Sutta Napata, the Udana, 
Those are known to be very old, old works, as well as the Teragitha and Teragatha, which are in the Kandana Nikaya. And then you have the introduction of uh, first Sariputta. So you can say that uh, sutras that have to do specifically with Sariputta will then be in that middle period of time. Let us say between, or let us see, at least at 10 years after the start of the teachings of the Buddha. Okay. From the age of 35 up to perhaps the age of 50. And then Ananda comes on the scene 25 years after the Buddha's uh, uh, start, and he's with the Buddha for the past 20 years. Okay, for the last 20 years. Okay, so the stuff that Ananda knows about, and when you hear Ananda talking, that's the end of it. That's the last of it. And so with Ananda, things are seen to be much more formal and much more sophisticated. Certainly, yeah. To where things in the very beginning and the Udana and all of that, and much of the stuff about uh, Ananda and Sariputta are found in the Majjhima Nikaya, which you would expect because that was a literature that was collected together at the birth, at the death of the Buddha. Mm-hmm. And then okay. the Anguttara Nikaya and the, uh, the Samyutta uh, Nikaya come later, and both of them were added to over time. So now it becomes kind of sophisticated as to for instance, in the Samyutta Nikaya, there are uh, 56, I think, different sections. And one of the sections is going to be on Nibbana, another section on Sotapan, another section's on Jhana, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And within that section, then, is going to be 50 or 60 suttas. Which one of those are the elder suttas and which one of those are the newer suttas takes a bit of sophistication. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, and so then the last of it is the Dinga Nikaya, and we've got pretty well dated that the Dinga Nikaya was written as propaganda during the Asok time, about 150 okay. years after mm-hmm. the time of the Buddha, is when the uh, the Buddhists were hardcore into converting the Brahmins into becoming Buddhist. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see so much magical stories in the Dinga Nikaya is because it's trying to get the the uh, the magically Brahmin uh, viewpoint. Sure. A lot of pacing and leading. Yeah, exactly so. <laughs> exactly so. And then the commentaries and other things, the Abhidhamma come much after that. Okay. Okay, so that's the, uh, the, the way of, of looking at it is the older stuff. But in general, the best place for the entire collection is the Majjhima Nikaya. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have other things like the collections of the Dhammapata. The Dhammapata is actually taking all of the one-liners from all over the place and putting them into one box. <laughs> okay. And it's all done in poetic form. It's very poetic, very beautifully done. Someone spent some marvelous times putting that together. I bet that was a real joy to create the Dhammapada. Uh, which is basically the word pada there is actually means the footsteps. The footprints of the Dhamma. That's what the word Dhammapada, and it's got like 430 something chapters in it. Or maybe mm, 430 okay. verses or something like that are arranged in various chapters. And so that's a good one, but uh, 
it's also very uh, kind of a lot of fun to see something that's quite remarkable and well known that you find actually in the sutras in the Majjhima Nikaya, and then later you find it in the Dhammapada, line by line, <laughs> word by word, is exactly copied out of it. <laughs> and so that's a, a, a multiplicity of, of literature like that. But we can, you can pretty well count on that the Buddha was consistent. He may mm-hmm. have put more details and filled in more of the gaps. And in fact, the 12 steps of Paticca Samuppada in the later versions of the Majjhima Nikaya are actually in brev, previous, in, uh, in a brief form in the Samyutta Nikaya. So the way that the mind works was already in the Samyutta Nikaya, but, the, but putting the details in it, especially the first two, Instead of starting with consciousness, they add the the ingredient of the ignorance and the sankara there. Mm-hmm. You could have actually put them in a different order for a different specific reason. Like, for instance, starting with consciousness and then in perception is where we add the ignorance and the sankara in order to come up with an object of internal understanding. But they okay. chose to put it the way that they did it, and I'm fine with that, no problem. Yeah. But uh, we can see the fact that that stuff was added later, rather than as part of the initial story that is in the uh, 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 this Sutta Napata is where you can find the actual Patitya problem. In fact, the Patitya is just all over the place. It's just sprinkled everywhere. Uh, in a series of events, but they don't show the entire 12 steps. They'll just talk about this step, this step, this step, and mm-hmm. that's all they're talking about. But now we recognize that instead of him just talking about this, that, and the other thing, the people who were there knew that he was talking about yes, that would, yeah. just a few of the steps of um, uh, a more complex uh, system. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's the way that we can think of it is, is that it's basically just storytelling. That I, I don't think that at one time that I've ever given one full lecture that gave all of the details of a teacher Samuppada. I don't think that I could stand doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and do it in the correct order too. But by t- talking about the whole show over and over and over and over again, we get to the, a lot of points taken care of. The natural method. Yeah, the natural method. That's the way to go. Gosh, you are so good. Parker, I'm really glad that you you're on I mean you're you're a smart kid. I gotta hand it to you. (laughs) (laughs) You've been absorbing the Dhamma like a sponge. You're (laughs) great. Congratulations. Yes. And I bet you can see that your whole life has changed with that. Yes, yes, very, very much. It's wonderful. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Okay, well, you get in touch with with uh, uh, Keyshawn about that, uh, both the website and the, the skit. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we'll talk to you later. All right, great. Talk to you soon. See ya. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye.